Welcome to the CFC Jacks Midweek Podcast, where we discuss topics related to becoming a fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ follower. We hope that wherever you are today, you'll be encouraged by the truths discussed in this podcast. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us for Q&A. Thanks for running to get here. I was like, I ran last week. You better run this week. Uh, as always, the number's up on the screen. So if you have questions uh, from today's sermon, we'd encourage you to text them in. And we have some that have already come in. So All we're right. ready to we're roll. Open. You ready? Uh, we'll see. All right. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> ready or not, right? <laughs> ready or not. Here yeah. I come. Hey, thanks for sending questions in. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, first question here about confession. Okay. Um, so how do I know if I need to confess my sin to another person oh. along with confessing to the Lord? Yeah, excellent question. Um, I may, maybe this is only true for me, but I think uh, for me, I find it easier to go, well, I'll confess to the Lord. Mm. And I have confidence that the Lord is gracious. I have confidence that He keeps His promises. I have confidence that First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, it's riskier, it can be, it seems like it, sure. at least to me, uh, to confess to another person. Uh, because will they forgive or not? So, but that really wasn't the question. The question was, how do I know if I need to confess mm-hmm. to someone else? Uh, I think the most simple direct answer to that is we confess to those we sin against. So anytime we sin, we sin against the Lord. But every time I sin against the Lord doesn't mean that I've sinned against uh, somebody specifically. So if I've sinned against, like if um, I was short with Tracy, uh, just like mm, angry or said some unkind word, it's not enough to say, did I sin against the Lord in that? Yes, because, and if you're like, well, how did you sin against the Lord? Here's what has really helped me. This body has been bought with a price. I belong to him. And he's poured his spirit into me so that I would be the body of Christ now. And doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I'm intended to reflect the righteousness of Christ. And so when I am impatient or short or, or unrighteously angry, then I have stolen that which he has redeemed to be an instrument of righteousness and used it to be an instrument of unrighteousness. So anytime I sin, I sin against the Lord. And that's, that's why I confess to the Lord. I don't know that I always understood why I, I knew I was supposed to confess to the Lord, but I didn't really right. know what's it mean that I've sinned against him. So that is how I have sinned against the Lord. I, I have taken the body that he redeemed and used it for my own purposes. And I've not reflected the character of Christ uh, who lives within me. So if I have sinned against a person, then I go to that person and I um, confess to them. Now, the question may be, uh, I don't know if this was a follow-up, so uh, here's, here would be even more complete question. Do I need to confess to a person if, I, if they don't know I have sinned against them? Hmm. In other That's words... a good additional question there. Yeah. In other words, if I've been bitter against you, hmm. 
because you didn't get me anything for Christmas. <laughs> just stupid. Um, I know no. what you're yeah. If I've been yes, yes. If I've been bitter against you, do I need to go and say, Tracy, I need to confess I've been bitter mm -hmm. against you? I don't. I actually, I don't think so. If I have been rude to you because of bitterness, then I confess being rude to you. Or if I have um, spoken harshly to you because of bitterness, then I would confess speaking harshly. But it doesn't make any—this has happened to me. I know it's happened to uh, other folks on staff. I know it's happened to my wife. People uh, will say, oh, I've held this um, against you, and I just need to confess that. And it's like, oh, I, I had no idea that you were sinning against me. So I would add to that, maybe some will disagree, but I would add, I confess to a person who I've sinned against, and they know I have sinned against them in that regard. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any other addition that I would add to that, but maybe a question would come in follow-up uh, mm -hmm. uh, regarding that. But I, I hope that would be helpful because I think sometimes we we end up breaking relationship by confessing things that we didn't need to to confess, mm. like um, like if if I was jealous of somebody, that would be a sin against the Lord because I'd not be content with what He has chosen to give me and not give sure, me. right. But for me to go to that person and say, um, I've been, I need to confess I've been jealous of you, unless that jealousy has resulted in a tangible known sin to you, I, don't, I think I confess that to the Lord, not mm -hmm. to the person. I can put a, a an additional... Or Strain, I guess you yes. will, or something awkward uh -huh. um, within the relationship. Yeah, and the goal wasn't to avoid awkward. I, I right. was thinking that in my, myself ago. We're not trying to avoid awkward. Right. We're just not trying to create brokenness that isn't there. If there's not a known mm, brokenness, a um, don't try to resolve something that's not a known brokenness. Mm. Resolve that with the Lord. He knows, so resolve it with the Lord, but not with the person. Mm. I think it's, yeah, that makes sense. Good. Um, so that... You know, talking about there with uh, that relational brokenness. Could question here? Could you address the need for personal brokenness in the change process? Oh. yeah. There's um, there's a, a brokenness involved in change that um, that's interesting. I think it's pr I think it's. Uh, assumed in the passage. I don't read Nehemiah 5 and go, oh, the people weren't broken about it. They just made a mental shift. I think there was a brokenness, even mm -hmm. though it's not uh, written there. There is a, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful. But not that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So, 
there is there is a sorrow that leads to repentance. Mm-hmm. And there is a sorrow that doesn't necessarily lead to repentance. There's just a sorrow that I'm suffering the consequences for my wrong. So, but the question was, well, what's the place of sorrow? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would only there's there is a p- repentance is a change of mind. And that change of mind is certainly not an intellectual assent. It is a recognition of, I have been wrong and therefore have wronged. Either God, mm-hmm. not, not either, always God, uh, maybe someone else in the process. So I ref- the change of mind is, is a sorrow. Uh, tears can be different than sorrow. There can be tears that don't reflect a sorrow that leads to repentance. There can just be a tears because, uh, again, I'm suffering from the consequences. And I can have a sorrow that leads to repentance without tears. Mm-hmm. So um, I would just, I would always be cautious of what tears say and what they don't say. We don't always know. What we know is whether repentance takes place or not. But there is a sorrow that leads to repentance. And how did you describe it again? Repentance as a change of A change of mind. mind. Yes. This is why when uh, point three, I need the courage and conviction. I need Mm -hmm. someone, I need to admit my capacity to be blind or complacent. But third was a new thought. Repentance begins with a new thought, a new thought for them. Again, oh, we're not fearing this. Our actions don't reflect a fear of the Lord or any concern regarding the testimony to the nations. Mm. New thought about our testimony, new thought about the fear of the Lord led to new accountability and new commitment and new practices that, that followed. So um, that's why repentance is a change of mind. Mm. It's a very clear descriptor yeah. when you think about and, that. And, a cha- and where, there's a, where there is a genuine change of mind, there will be a change of behavior. Mm-hmm. But I can change my behavior without changing my mind. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a, re- that's a change that doesn't last. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. Yeah. Um, with making changes, the question is, how does biblical instruction about making changes in our life differ from modern psychology that says, envision the person you want to be and then try really hard to be that person? <laughs> Okay, well, I appreciated that you defined what you meant by modern psychology. Envision who you want to be and then try your hardest to become that person. It differs, uh, difference, it's different in at least two ways. Let me address the two expressions you gave. I'm not envisioning the person that I want to be. Uh, I'm envisioning the person mm-hmm. that God has called me to be. So yes. the scripture becomes the standard for that vision, if you will. My vision is to be like Christ. Uh, Philippians to have this attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So imitate me, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I don't get to determine who do I want to be. Just like I don't think our church gets to determine who do we want to be. As a church, we get to determine here's what the scripture says the body of Christ is to look like. And here's what the scripture says a man of God looks like. Here's what a woman of God is intended to look like. And so that's the standard. And then by no means, uh, and, and this was with uh, without exception, the greatest change in my life happened when I realized 
that change was not me doing my best, but believing that when I came to Christ, the Spirit of God was poured into my heart, that I was made a new person. My slavery to sin had been uh, removed. I could still sin, but I didn't have to. I was not a slave to sin, and I had... Uh, Romans 6, 4, uh, I was in the likeness of his death and his resurrection, it says, so that I could walk in newness of Christ. The phrase that really changed my life was the Jesus who walked the pages of this New Testament is alive and living in you and wanting to live his life through you. I, I heard that as a high schooler, and uh, I'd never heard someone talk about the Christian life that way. The Jesus who walked the pages of this New Testament is alive and living in you and wants to live his life through you. I always thought it was just me doing my best imitation of Jesus versus this body being the instrument mm-hmm. in and through which God would now live his life. That is why it is the Christ life. So uh, it's not my standard, it's his standard, and it's not my strength, it's his strength. It's his spirit in me. Uh, it is God who is at work in you. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yeah. I, when you started with that response, um, the response of we know who the Lord has called us to be yes. based on Scripture, it's completely opposite sure. of what you hear on a regular basis. So how grateful just my heart is just gr- with such gratitude that I know who the Lord has called me to be. Mm-hmm. Because scripture is very clear, <laughs> like yes. in that, and it's not wondering about yeah, all that, these other things. That's why I was really appreciative of what they meant by modern psychology of mm-hmm. envisioning who I want to be. Don't envision who you want to be. This is why I ended with, uh, the, the this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So... Uh, if you believe that, if you have a repentance there, a change of mind there, then the person you want to be is the person who God intends you to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's who I want to be, who he made me to be, because that is the love of God, that mm-hmm. uh, there is the greatest joy uh, when I seek to be like Jesus. Mm. Um, kind of keep it on that track with current culture. Question is, in a world of cancel culture, the societal norm seems to be take advantage of others before they take advantage of you. Hmm. How can we break that cycle in daily practice? Yeah. Uh, well, um, I I don't know if this will be helpful or not, but the first thing that, that came to mind was... Read the question again, and then I'll read the text. Mm -hmm. Um, In a world of cancel culture, the societal norm seems to be take advantage of others before they take advantage of you. How can we break that cycle in daily practice? By this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. So... uh, I think the most direct, simple answer there, I was reading from Philippians 2, 3, and 4, and verse 5, and then it talks about the attitude of Jesus following verses. It is to simply go, no, I'm not going to think of 
my interest only. And I do think it's important. It doesn't say that we don't think of our own interest. It's that we don't look out right. for our own interest only. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we consider the interest of others as more important than ours, but it doesn't mean that ours aren't on the table. It just means they're not the first on the table. Right. So, uh, that would be an example of saying more than scripture, never think of your own interest. It says, don't think of them only and don't put them as first. That is the way we would uh, be radically different than the cancel culture referenced. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, this question um, referencing Ephesians 4. So, is the new thoughts, new accountability, new practices similar to Ephesians 4 put off, put on? <laughs> yes. Um, and when I taught Ephesians 4, you, you may remember there were three drawers. Mm-hmm. We normally pulled out the old drawer. We go, no, I have a new thought, top drawer, the new thought that I am in Christ and that I belong to the Lord and that my aim is to please Him. And because of the new thought, my new practice is to close the, close the old drawer and pull out the new drawer and put on new because of the new thought. So yes, it is very similar to put off, put on. I didn't use that expression because I was in Nehemiah 4, not Ephesians, I mean, Nehemiah 5, not Ephesians 4. You don't want to bring the dresser back? <laughs> oh, I could always bring lots of stuff back, but uh, not everybody's as fond of my object lessons as I am. It depends how heavy they are. <laughs> and how many they get. I put on the stage at one time. Yes, I mean, yeah, I could bring the dresser back. I could bring the water fountain back. I could bring all sorts. I could bring the sailboat back. I could bring all sorts of things back that Coolers, would cooler yes, and all kinds of things. Could cover that the would stage visualize uh, how we walk in the spirit. Mm. So put off put on, but those are because of new thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, question here, um, referencing Matthew 5, 29 through 30. How does the I lump the acceptable and with the unacceptable uh, square up with Matthew 5, 29 through 30? Doesn't Jesus say we should throw away acceptable things, hands and eyes, if they can cause us to do unacceptable things like sin? Sure. It, it, let me read, since they didn't uh, include it in the question. Matthew five twenty nine thirty says, mm-hmm. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one part of your whole body than for the whole body to go into hell. Now, obviously... Scripture is, Jesus is not saying literally pluck your eye out, chop your hand off. Mm. He's saying that there is a willingness to uh, amputate things that would um, cause, it says in the here, cause you to stumble. So uh, the person may be asking specifically uh, what I, a few of the examples I gave. And this would be a contentious one, so let me just speak to it, and they may agree or disagree. Uh, But I grew up in an environment in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where it was understood if you're a Christian, you don't drink. Mm. And um, I don't blame my, obviously, uh, I shouldn't say obviously, I don't blame my parents at all for this. It was what was grown up, it was what was modeled around me, it's what the church taught, it's what kind of everybody believed and taught 
And then I got to, uh, I was 18 years old, and I went out to Estes Park, Colorado for a one-year Bible school and ended up interacting with some students from Eugene, Oregon, and they were of legal age, and they would have uh, a beer with pizza, and I was horrified. There were these like Bible college students who were, and again, they were of legal age, but they were drinking beer. And I had grown up my entire life being taught if you're a Christian, you don't drink beer, let alone be a Bible college student. And uh, so I went to the director of the school and the director of the school encouraged me to say, why don't you read the scriptures, Doug, and determine what it actually says regarding the drinking of alcohol. And a little self-study wasn't hard. Uh, exposed that the scripture was very clear regarding drunkenness, mm-hmm. and it was also very clear that I would not do things that would potentially cause other people to stumble. In right. other words, to sin. But it, nowhere did it say that it was an outright sin to ever drink alcohol, and so it really changed my understanding. And this is why I said what I did in the service. I remember thinking, wow, what else has been taught me from the scriptures that actually is not in the scriptures? Which is why I said, when we add things to the scriptures, we don't help the scriptures, we actually undermine the scriptures because it causes us to go, oh, the Bible didn't say that. We're making it say more than what it did. So. Mm-hmm. If it makes you stumble, then it's wisdom to say, I'm not going to do those things. Like you may go, I'm not going to drink so that I don't get drunk. Mm-hmm. That would be a perfectly acceptable right practice yes. to keep you from dr- getting drunk. As long as you didn't make drinking equal with the biblical command, drunkenness. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I... That's what I wanted to make sure that we don't make um, – think of it this way. Uh, I have kids. We move into a property that's connected to a pond, and I don't want my kids to, to drown. So I build a fence around the pond. They'll drown and they, if they can't swim and they go in the pond. Mm-hmm. But they won't drown if they go on the other side of the fence. The fence is wisdom mm. that I say, stay on this side of the fence, because if you stay on this side of the fence, then you can't actually go in, right. <laughs> in the water. But I can't make the fence equal to the pond. And that's what, I don't know if that's a good example or not, but I think that's the, when we equi- uh, make equal man-made rules with God-given commands. A fence is a great idea, but it's not the same as a God-given command. Mm. So... Um, I think what the the, com- the command here is set up practices that are unique to you. If this causes you to stumble, then don't do it. But that doesn't mean nobody can do it ever because other things might not make them stumble. Right. A, a person could potentially, uh, I never, I'm not saying that they never did, but I never saw those guys get drunk. I saw them have a beer with their pizza. So I think it's a good. I don't know if that that helps or not, but I, I don't think it's. Um, the key to go back to the specific question of 
if this causes you to stumble, then deal with it. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that everybody should pluck their eye out or chop their right. hand off. See, that was not the command. If that, then do that, but not everybody should. Mm-hmm. I hope that was clear. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Great questions this morning. Really appreciate those. And hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the CFC Jacks podcast. Be sure to watch as we release new teachings weekly, along with additional content during the week. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.cfcjacks.com. Thanks for listening.